Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, weight gain. Maybe you think they're just part of getting older, but Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all connect to menopause. It's at the root of dozens of symptoms we experience, not just hot flashes. Midi clinicians are menopause experts offering safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. From the Middle is a founding member of the Odd Pods Media Network. The most selfish thing that a human being can possibly do is leave an empty shopping cart in a parking space. I just hate what that says about people, right? You're telling me you can meander for two and a half miles inside Costco pushing that thing. And then the moment you get to your vehicle, you're like, not another step. <laughs> That's why I don't even care anymore. You guys can try this too. Every time I'm inside a grocery store, I take someone else's cart. <laughs> try it, full of food, take it, it's much faster. <laughs> and you get to try new things. You can do that, it isn't wrong. It's not stealing. What could they possibly even say to you? Excuse me, I gathered that. <laughs> Just say, thanks, and you can regather, you know the route. That's how I found out that I like hummus. <coughs> oh, for the love. Sorry, just clearing my Mountain Dew hole. I got my phone hole clean today. That's where you keep it? So cerebral, and you're so developed and evolved. <laughs> From the middle after dark over here. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode number 88 of From the Middle. I am Corey, alongside my brother Dylan and good friend Kendall. Super excited to share tonight's guest with you our new favorite comedian, Kellen Erskine. Uh, Kellen has appeared on Conan, Jimmy Kimmel Live, NBC's America's Got Talent, and the Amazon original series, Inside Jokes. His first set with Comedy Central on the series Comedy Central Stand Up Featuring appeared in spring of 2020. He has garnered over 40 million views with his clips on Dry Bar Comedy. In 2018, he was selected to perform on the New Faces Showcase at the Just for Laughs Comedy Festival in Montreal comedy's most prestigious event and was named one of TBS's top 10 comics to watch. His 2017 special Composed is now streaming on Amazon Prime. Ladies and gentlemen, as I said before, our new favorite comedian, Kellen Erskine. <laughs> hey. <laughs> Thank you so much for being here, man. It's very, very kind of you to join us. Absolutely. So just to uh, uh, tell our uh, listeners how sort of we, we came to hear about you. So um, a coworker and I were talking about, we're big stand-up fans, and we're talking about some of the documentaries that we've been watching. I had just finished the Comedy Store documentary, um, and she said, have you seen Inside Jokes? And I hadn't. And so I watched that and sort of... Uh, just fell in love with that that documentary right away. And you were by far my favorite um, 
comedian in that in that documentary. I think just because of the authenticity that you that you brought to that, I I like to say you were the emotional heartbeat of that of that documentary, and it was really cool to watch. Um, I like so I to say that too. Is it is it <laughs> is it creepy to know that like we've all seen you cry? <laughs> It is, it is interesting. Like when I met, uh, there was a, I was in Ikea a couple months ago and a guy came up to me and uh, he was like, were you on, uh, were you on inside jokes? And it was weird to like start having a conversation with someone who like, he, he knows what the inside of my house looks like. (laughs) But I have no idea what his, yeah, (laughs) I watched you guys eat dinner. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. You're instantly like this exchange does not feel equal. This this is uncomfortable (laughs) immediately. Ellen, did you happen to see, you know, the x-ray feature where they give little trivia uh, about. Oh yeah. I haven't gone through that. No, dude. Some of those are even more frightening. One of them legit said, um, Kellen's middle child loves fruit and often asks to have it for dinner. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's so, that's so weird. Yeah. I am almost scared to go back through it. It's like (laughs) while at home, Kellen goes commando. Like I have no idea what else. Yeah. So for those of you that don't know, if you're watching anything on Amazon prime, it's like VH one's pop up, pop up video. Almost. It like tells you, who the actors are appearing in a scene. It'll tell you who the artist and what the name of a title of a song is. And then just random trivia. And yeah, that was one of them. Um, (laughs) When I watched episode one, I was like, wow, this is a whole nother level of information. Well, I'm, I'm happy in the first place that you even found out about it because Amazon, it is an Amazon. A lot of people can just throw, you know, stuff that they've created onto Amazon, but it is actually like an Amazon Prime original series, but Amazon didn't push it at all. And like, even after they released it, I'm still just seeing Amazon Prime billboards of like Jack Ryan or even the marvelous Miss Maisel, which is a fake story about a comedian trying to make it. But they still never pushed the actual documentary that I was in. So that was a bummer. Wow. So you've you've talked before about, I know you were on AGT. Was it season seven? Yeah. And you said that sort of one of the techniques, I guess you could call it, about, about that show or how they film that show is to just shoot a ton of footage about a given contestant, and then they can sort of just paint them however they want. Did it feel more authentic? Um, Maybe a little uncomfortable to have them in your home and following you around and figuring out what your kids like to eat for dinner, but did did that feel more authentic or more true to who you are and, and sort of your journey? It did. Yeah, it was it was nice. Uh, from day one, you could tell that they wanted to capture reality rather than create their own, which is what yeah, every reality show does. And like the, the who you are in a reality show, it all is determined during the editing process. So they're not trying to really figure out who you are up front. They're trying to get all these different angles on you and then decide which one to show. Um, but for, yeah, for inside jokes, it was definitely just, I mean, it did feel weird. It did not contrived, but a little, uh, 
intrusive at first because we weren't used to it where they would set up, you know, two or three cameras around our dinner table. There's artificial lighting. There's a couple of producers in the background. There's a director looking on a monitor and then they basically go like, all right, now eat how you normally would. (laughs) (laughs) So then we would try and eat. But the difference is that with, with America's Got Talent, they would actually, during the interviews with me, they would try feeding me lines. Mm. Mm. which that that made the biggest difference is on this show. They never told me what to say. They really were just trying to capture us. And it was a little more comfortable. Like uh, if we were playing outside, it felt like they were a little more distant, uh, still watching us. So you're always conscious of it, but at least, you know, I could throw a Frisbee around and there isn't a director walking up to me going, uh, you know, could you, uh, could you cradle your kid like a baby? Audiences love that stuff, you know? <laughs> It seemed it seemed to me like I, I thought it was a, a good series, um, but the, the thought crossed my mind a couple of times where I'm like, "There's no way that like that like some producer didn't come up to me. Are you are you sure you don't want to talk to your dad? Sure? Oh. I mean, n- <laughs> not with you, but like with others, you know, it's pushing like, pushing yeah, those moments, trying trying yeah. to create at least maybe not telling them what to do or what to say, but like mm. just just suggesting almost on a psychological level, like. Like maybe you should maybe you should go talk to your parents. Oh, <laughs> there was we'll luckily there wasn't too much of that. The only thing I can uh, that I remember that they really kind of made us do was um, they had me walk down my stairs and kiss my wife goodbye, and they ended up not using any of this footage probably because. I'm not an actor. Like they had us do it several times. It was the only thing that they had us do like several takes of. They wanted to get me leaving my house, but it was like the second or third time they ever came over. They spent the whole summer with us. So this was like the first, one of the first things they did. And so it just felt odd to like, and now I am kissing my wife, you know, for the world to see, you know, like, is like this... you, you don't need to narrate it for us. <laughs> <laughs> and stop, stop whistling while you're walking down the stairs. <laughs> stop calling her wife. <laughs> I'm so glad Corey watched it and, and you got that recommendation because I don't know, a, a long time before we had the idea, like, let's just invite Kellen on. You were mentioning the documentary and some of the clips from 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 you, Kellen, from the standup, and I hadn't had a chance to watch it. And and so by the time we had kind of like emailed you at least the first time to reach out, I was like, I gotta check this out because I'm gonna enjoy it anyways. And uh, one of the first lines, it's it's um, that you have. I'm like jumping in, expecting to be entertained, like a total consumer. And and one of the first <laughs> lines uh, that you have that we hear from you is literally in the intro. And it's like the stakes, the stakes are higher for me because I've been dragging my family along with me. Um, and it was just such a like, I'm already going to love this documentary because this is like Corey said, it's such an authentic thing to just throw out there. And I'm glad to hear that it was a little, it wasn't scripted with, with that documentary series. Um, but I, I'd love, uh, I'd love to hear a little bit about that moment, like where you were then and, and where you are now with that too, because I think that's super interesting. It's the thing I think a lot of people don't think about with actors and comedians and people that are constantly traveling. Oh, sure. Yeah. So the, 
I mean, part of dragging my family along when I use that verb is also just the fact that like working for years, like uh, with a day job and then doing comedy at night for no money in the hopes that one day the money from that I'll eventually get from comedy will surpass what I'm making during the day job that that journey is I mean, it's tough. And it's but luckily from day one, like my wife, when we started dating, she was uh, she was supportive of, of it. I think it would have been different because I was sort of on a trajectory when we started dating. I think it would have been different if we had already been married. And I was like, I think I'm going to start stand up comedy, you know, when I'm whatever, 57. Like, I think that's <laughs> that's less applicable. Um, but she had at least some some sort of a foundation that she believed in what I was doing. And so, yeah, that's what it was for a good uh, 10 years was working the day job and then grinding it out at night. I started in the Bay Area, San Francisco, open mics, any show that I could get on, sort of worked my way up the totem pole there and decided I was ready for either L.A. or New York. L.A. was cheaper. And uh, yeah, so then... Uh, Moved to L.A., got an agent after a couple of years, and it was right around the time, a few months before that documentary. And so it was a combination of, like, the documentary health, but also the festival that you see me go to in the documentary, Just for Laughs in Montreal. It's the biggest thing that a, a, an up-and-coming comic can do. If you look at most most of the comics that you know or that you've seen a Netflix special of, uh, most of those comics went through Montreal as one of their, you know, sort of a rite of passage, if you can make it. Um, and so that's when things started turning around. It was all in the same year that I, I, I got uh, an agent uh, and then Conan and then Inside Jokes and Kimmel. And I was able to, I quit my day job um, just a couple months before I went to Montreal. It all, yeah, it was uh, yeah, that was the that that was what changed everything. It was that that single year I had everything lined up, and it but it wasn't like that everything just came sporadically all at once. It was like it was that what do they say about uh, success comes from uh, being prepared when the opportunity comes. So it wasn't just like getting lucky all of a sudden. Mm -hmm. It was that I'd been working for years. Like I had I had friends getting agents years before I did. And the only comforting thing for me when I moved to LA and it was just a sort of chaotic, dark jungle, there's no discernible path of where to go. There's so many different ways where you can invest your time, whether it's like you mentioned at the comedy store, the documentary you watch, you could spend every night there and try and get ahead. You could try just alt rooms. They have backyard shows. You could hope that an agent shows up in an art gallery at midnight. You have no idea. So my only comfort in the, those first two or three years of just growing grinding it out in Los Angeles was knowing that whenever somebody did see me, I was going to be that much more prepared. And ultimately that is what happened. I got an agent much later than most of my, most of my peers. But when I did, I had so much, I had a lot more material, I would say, than most of my friends did when they got representation. So I was immediately like, I got approved for Conan literally the next week because I was ready. And I, I'm glad that I didn't get an agent when I thought I was ready five, six years before, because I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have anything to show for it. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? Other than saying I have an agent now, I, I wouldn't have had the material to back me up. 
That's such a cool story. And I know you didn't listen to our previous episode, but that's literally the theme and the title of that uh, previous episode. We had um, the opportunity, success occurs when opportunity and preparedness meet. Sure. And we were interviewing my college buddy who is now a New York Times bestselling illustrator. Wow. And his first book out of college, he got an agent. His first book out of college was to do a children's book, a biography on the life of a up and coming politician named Barack Obama. <laughs> and then obviously Obama gets elected and overnight my buddy is a New York Times bestselling illustrator. And wow. many people look at that and go, oh, you were just lucky or the stars aligned for you. But he was grinding it out in college and was not goofing off. I mean, it's an art college, so you can imagine the tomfoolery. And he just had this incredible work ethic. And from day one of entering college, he was like, I'm literally here just to build my portfolio so that when I graduate, I'm ready to go. And yeah, that's just, it's just kind of what you're saying right there. Like it, 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 uh, Similar, similar situation. Absolutely. And, and for sure, it wasn't the only project he ever worked on. That's what I try and tell people is that like success, especially in the entertainment industry, is just a numbers game. There's no other way around it. You just have as many irons in the fire as you can. And eventually, and your chances will be that much better. Uh, that something is going to take off. And oftentimes it's something you didn't even expect was going to take off. Like I was uh, like your buddy with his book. To, I'm sure to him, it was just another project. And then he moved on to the next thing. And then, yeah, he's a, a elected president. It's the same with, um, oh, I just lost my train of thought. But yeah, it's, that's all it is. It's just yeah. putting in as, as many reps as you can and in, in, in as many places. Oh, with dry bar. That's what I was going to say. Oh, yeah. I was, I was the fourth person to ever film dry bar. They hadn't even released anything. And yeah. their, their plan to me was strictly, it was just going to be a website where you could watch full specials. So I had no idea and nothing. And they did start that up front, but it, it really started to take off uh, when they started putting the clips on Facebook finally. And at that time, the Facebook algorithm favored virality much more than it does now. So there was, again, ended up being this window of about a year and a half where, I mean, their followers shot up to, I, they're probably over a million at this point and videos went viral. And uh, I, that ended up benefiting me way more than I ever thought it would. That's awesome. That's, that's so cool. I want to, I want to make a few more comments about inside jokes, but don't want to restrict our conversation to just that. But again, that was sort of how we first discovered you. Sorry, it took us so long. I'm sure you suffered because of it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> there, uh, for me, and I, I'm glad that the cameras weren't too intrusive because it did, I think, truly provide this layer of authenticity. Not that the other comics didn't have that, but for me, I was instantly rooting for you and your wife. And honestly, I wanted to have her on as well because she's so darn supportive of you. <laughs> and it's clear that that you are a result of, of her support in many ways. But when you said, mm -hmm. um, the balance of home life is on my mind all the time. It's like the more I the more time I spend getting better at comedy, the less I'm being a good father. The more time I spend being at home, the less I'm improving at comedy. And I just instantly was was with you there in that moment because I remember feeling like in similar fashion I'm pursuing this abnormal career by pursuing an art career 
Um, I have a super supportive mm-hmm. wife and family. Um, and I graduated college with a family already. And all of my friends were still single and going off to like LA to work at Pixar or EA sure. games, making video games and mm-hmm. becoming New York times, best-selling illustrators. And I'm like, <laughs> I've got a family and I want to prioritize that, but I felt like my art career was suffering because of it. And so I just, I think many people can relate to you um, in that sense, or at least at that stage of your journey. Is there anything more that you want to say about that? Or have you, do you think you figured out more of that balance? Or do you think that that's an ongoing thing that you continually work at? I think I've gotten better at it. I don't know that it'll ever completely be resolved. And I think, but I think that um, it's a good thing in a way that you, it, it means that if you never, if you feel like you're working too hard at your career, that you're not being a good enough father, then it means you're going to try harder at being a good father. You know what I mean? But it's also this paradox where um, to be a good father, you also have to be the best provider that you can be. And so you have to work on the career, but then at the same time, going back, I don't want to turn into one of those 1960s dads, you know, that comes home and is like, I'm doing this for you, you know. (laughs) So it is it is a balance of the selfish and the selfless. Uh, I, I, unfortunately I felt like I had it, I had it in the best place that it ever had been before the pandemic. So about a year before the pandemic, I was finally in this nice routine of having just enough getting to the point of having just enough recognition where I could say yes to the, to shows and no to the right shows to where I was touring every other week. I was gone for four days. That was sort of the routine gone for four days home for 10. But when I'm home, I'm home like all day. We homeschool our kids. So like I'm a dad a hundred percent of the time, 24 seven for a week and a half. And then I'm gone focused on that. That was a good place to be in. And it also makes it so your wife is excited to see you. That was fun. You need the opportunity to miss one another. Exactly. You know, it really is. It sounds like a dig, but it's not like if you have, if you have the two or three days away from each other, then, you know, you just remember everything that you love about the other person. (laughs) Yeah. Well, kudos to your wife. I just wanted to shout her out because Mm -hmm. I think it's so clear that how supportive she is. And um, I, I think that's awesome that the, the relationship you guys have one last um one last emotional moment was when you guys were in the car she was taking you to the airport i think and it was kind of quiet in this scene and then you kind of look over and you're like i'm gonna have a real rough time if i don't get in and it was just such a vulnerable like honest thing and uh that was just uh really touching one one last thing about that documentary there's a scene when you're meeting Rosebud Baker for the first time. And I love how she introduced herself to you. She she goes, you don't drink, you're Mormon, right? <laughs> and you're like, I love how you introduce yourself. You just say two random facts about me as your introduction. <laughs> but then you guys go, you go uh, off and have this really interesting conversation sort of about the alchemy of, of comedy and sort of playing with specific words and trying different words in the inflection one of the things we love to do with our guests is sort of talk about like that layer below the surface about any profession or passion so um anything you want to say about that and sort of uh that that what 
how you try to punch up with like certain words. I know Brian Regan has talked a lot about that in his interviews about how he'll play with specific words to really punch up his set. Um, any thoughts around that? Yeah, it's, I, I love, I love both analyzing comedy and just appreciating the, the, the sort of perpetual mystery around it as well. Uh, so that, and they both sort of come together in punching up jokes for me. I mean, there are certain ground rules. Uh, the funniest part should be at the end, at the end of the, uh, of the line, but sometimes you don't, you don't know exactly what the funniest part is going to be. And so that's sort of the beauty of creating that, having that rock tumble around until it's smooth just by, you know, doing it on stage several times. I have a joke, a uh, joke that I'm working out right now about, um, no, it, it's an old joke that I was polishing up um, uh, about the the lottery and the odds to the lottery. And I thought of a, a, a better opening line for it, which originally, in its original form, I said something like, um, other than, the way I originally phrased it was, other than throwing away jury summons, I've never gambled in my life. <laughs> and and it got a good enough laugh but then one night i just decided to flip it and i said um oh no in fact it was it was an accident i i flipped it and i said i just said i've never gambled in my life and then i realized oh i didn't say the first part so i said other than throwing away every jury summons and it got a huge response (laughs) Which is so, and that's what's so fascinating and fun to me is that I wouldn't, I wouldn't have known which of those was funnier just on my own. I know that there's, uh, uh, it was funny to me. The thought was funny to me and I'm saying the same words. I'm just flipping each end of the sentence and the audience is what decides, oh, yes, that way is funnier. Sort of the, just the, the, the hive mind of an audience is something you can't replicate by yourself. Mm. No one could do that. Like if we could, then comedy would be so much easier, right? Because yeah. you would never have to work anything out. So it's, it's sort of funny, it's this symbiosis that you have to have with this group of people that individually – they're not experts on comedy, but together these 300 people can inform me. They can be my editor much more than I could be. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Dylan, you mentioned one before, Ken, uh, before Kellen logged in. What was the one? Well, so I was showing, my wife asked what we were talking about tonight, and I was showing her a clip from uh, Comedy Central Presents, the milk jug bit. And I knew, I had watched it a couple times, and it was funnier every time I watched it. I knew... <laughs> The part that would get her the most was you were describing, obviously, the milk jug itself, and you said the grabby part. (laughs) And I just knew that would get her because it's exactly the kind of thing. And it was so perfect. I knew I'm, I'm listening to that going. I know nothing about the guy, but I knew that that was a choice and a very specific choice to say grabby part and not just handle. It's way funnier and it's it was just one of those little things that I I knew that was coming. I'm like she's gonna lose it. On that. <laughs> yeah, and, uh, I did. And she's a, she's a tough critic. So uh, not that her opinion matters to you, but she loved that part uh, and that bit. 
Um, and, and she laughed through the whole thing. It was great. But that was one that I was just waiting, you know, when you're kind of like waiting for you, know, you do inside <laughs> jokes, like you're testing stuff out on your wife too. And this is, I'm like looking at her on the couch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, gonna that is a fun part uh, of comedy it's, is, uh, trying to put together two words that you've never heard together can be very funny because grabby on its own isn't funny part isn't but for some reason throwing the two together yeah it hit one night and i just kept it <laughs> so i'm wondering how how all of the how the the structuring works with uh and this is this is kind of a question for my wife and it fits now um when with uh with ad-libbing or or with what i perceive to be as kind of like a a uh, a, a carefully structured ad-lib maybe mm or a, a, a thought out method of ad living. Cause I, I see that too in your, in your standup that coming into play um, with, uh, with maybe certain cities and you're, you're asking about mascots. Right. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and you're, you're playing off of that. Are there things that you're, that you're like looking for? Have you already like looked into mascots in the area? And so you're kind of half prepared or, or, or what, 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 what what's the, the logistics behind, putting something like that into a set. So for me, I sort of pride myself on the fact that my, my improv is not, it's not planned. You will see that with a lot of comics who are like obviously looking for an answer. Mm-hmm. Um, and so for me, uh, one of the ways that I try and stay present in, in a set is to ask a, a question that'll have answers that I, answers that I've never heard before. I, I love the challenge of that. There's also, there's a very much a, like, high risk, high reward, because when it doesn't work, like it doesn't work. <laughs> but, <laughs> but when it does, it's just sort of an, this extra, I get this bonus laughter from the crowd because there's also this, wow, how did he come up with that? That's, that's very rewarding for me. And so I do try and stay away from things that are traditional. So you'll notice um, if you if you watch the clip from Drybar on YouTube of of the mascots where I'm asking people about their mascots, I try and empty the the traditional ones up front, and so I can get to the ones that are maybe mm-hmm. the ones I've never heard before, like finding that uncharted joke territory. Um, and, and then it is hard for me because then when I used to look up YouTube comments, that clip specifically, there be these people having conversations back and forth in the comments of like, ah, you know, all comedians plan their stuff. This is, you know, he just comes. Well, people were like, he, he planted those people in the audience. Like, do you know how much work it would be <laughs> to try and have people yeah. like, and hopefully most of those are so weird that, that no one even watching has ever heard of like the syrup makers. That was, <laughs> that was a mascot I'd never heard before and I haven't heard since. So it's like a perfect example yeah of what I look for. And hopefully it would be more obvious that it, that it was planned if I was only joking about like, you know, bears and tigers and panthers or whatever. Right. Um, but yeah, that, that is what I go for personally is, is stuff that I've never heard so that it can be, especially in the live shows, it's hopefully an experience that, that um, a unique experience every show. Yeah, yeah that's good. I, and I, I appreciate that answer so much. Like you, you have no idea because I, I loved that bit in the dry bar thing. And um, now for me, like maybe I am a critical a-hole, but, uh, (laughs) but for me, my mind with that, that went so well, 
Like, mm-hmm. like was he, he had to have been Googling the night before and like he knew syrup makers was coming. Um, and like that, that thought crossed my mind, but for me, it's not, it, it's, it's not in a way of, of like, there's something nefarious going on here and he's illegitimate for me. It was, mm-hmm. it, it's like, even if that were true, which isn't, um, it still would come from a place of like, man, this guy is, he's funny. He came up with this and he came up with a cool way to, to put it like for me, like I, I appreciate all the prep work and everything behind it. Um, even if, uh, even if the cynic in me was, was correct, but uh, <laughs> well, I think if anything, like the, I'm, 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 I haven't prepared the punchlines, but I do feel like it's a skill that I have developed in doing, doing it. So yeah. if anything, the, the, the preparation is that uh, I have taken years of, of, uh, of exercising, you know, this practice of making myself completely vulnerable to a crowd, which is exhilarating. And like I said, it also makes my heart sink when something does bomb, which, which happens too. Um, yeah. So that's, that's the prep prep work that goes into it, is that I'm finally okay. Just talking to a crowd in real time. Do you have, do you have stories or examples of times when that crowd work, if I can simplify it that way, has, has gone south? Oh, absolutely. I'm thinking yeah. of the Valentine's Day one. <laughs> oh yeah. And that one, <laughs> that one was fun for me. I, again, when I used to read comments, I did go through some people, some people love the Valentine's Day one. So for context, for everyone listening, I used to ask, Hey, what's something that you did on, did on Valentine's Day? And a woman just shouts out, celebrate divorce. And it was actually, <laughs> it ended up being very fun. Um, but great. when when you look at the clip, it looks like I stumble for a minute, but it was actually very exciting to me because it was an answer I hadn't gotten before. Cause you, so I was able to have fun with it, but I do think that people watching it, they're sort of nervous for me too, because it looks like, Oh no, it just threw everything off. When for me, it just, I love it when it can, when comedy can take a U-turn like I like to take advantage of that sort of thing. And I actually uh, did even, they edited out a bunch of it probably for time, but I had fun talking to that woman for a good six, seven minutes. Wow. Yeah. (laughs) It's kind of like, I feel like uh, uh, creativity can come with, uh, with improv because oddly enough, you, you, uh, you, you create a box for you to, to get in or in your case, like, this unexpected thing happens. So now you're boxed in, you know, where you want your set to go. And so now like you have a, okay, I'm in a box and I have to creatively get out of it now. And very much so. Yeah. It's almost like the the audience is watching you try to get out of a maze. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Like, is he going to do this? Yeah. Yeah. It's exhilarating (laughs) to, to watch it happen. Sure. Yeah. I had one of the, one of the worst times was when I was asking, and this was back when I was very young and I didn't know, I, I, now I ask very specific questions. I like to ask people in my current set, like what's a, what's a silly fear that you have? Again, looking for crazy stuff. Um, 
but I used to ask more traditional things like, what do you do for a living? Which is now like, I realize is sort of hacky. You see comics, you know, and TV shows do that. Ah, funny shirt. What do you do for a living? Uh, but I asked one guy and this was in Silicon Valley, uh, San Jose. And a guy said that he used to he, uh, sell spacecraft, which is so interesting to me, but I was so green at the time that the first thing that came to me, and I didn't mean for it to be a dark joke, but while I was saying it, I realized I didn't remember which of the space shuttles had burnt up in the atmosphere. And I said, oh, that's got to be so crazy. So you're like a used car salesman. Uh, but you're uh, you're walk yelling at passersby. Hey, you wanna you wanna grab this cha- uh, challenger? And to me, it was like I thought I was being clever because there's also a Dodge Challenger. Like it's also yeah. the name of a car. But no one laughed. And at that point, I realized, okay, yeah, that's one of the ones that uh, that blew up. That's the one. <laughs> Found it. Found it. Yeah. yeah. Oh man. <laughs> And that's not something that I can like learn from and use next time. I'm never going to run into another guy who just <laughs> sells space equipment. Next time I run into a spaceship salesman. <laughs> that's like the one Michael Scott moment you would have had where you just tried a joke and it was like, ooh. And as soon as he said, he says a joke and it falls out and he, he just realizes it didn't, didn't work. Not oh, yeah. Time. Yeah. And there's no recovery from that. Like, okay. So, so who's next? What, uh, who else here works for a living and does something else? Yeah. <laughs> That's Go ahead, awesome. Dylan. You're up. Well, yeah. I was going to ask you about, so I, it might've been a Babylon B interview. You were talking about, um, you know, the kind of the clean comic label. Um, you were all, you were referring to Nate Bargazzi, uh, as an example of that kind of clean comic label, uh, who, uh, kills without that, but you were using him as an example. We're all Bargazzi fans. I know quite a few of our listeners are too. Yeah. Um, so I, it totally applies to you. You're very much that same type. You kill without that label. Um, but I was curious, have you changed your opinion at all about being called a clean comic? Um, you know, or has the title kind of warmed on you over time? What's, what's that been like? No, it hasn't. No. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. I, I still am. Like, if you have to put it in terms, I I consider myself more of a like a, if you had to put it like a dark PG. Like, I have, in in the sense that children could listen to my like parents would be comfortable with their kids listening to my act, but I think that the kids would be bored. Like, I think that's best case scenario. I'm talking about stuff that's relatable to adults. Like, children aren't walking in the grocery store. Uh, children aren't responsible for returning the grocery cart. Like those are, mm-hmm. <laughs> these are more adult things that kids aren't going to find funny. And I've worked enough. I used to work cruise ships and it, like people would bring their kids to shows and the kids were bored. And I was like, I don't blame you. Like I, <laughs> mm. <laughs> I get it. Like I would not, when I was eight, I wouldn't have thought Seinfeld was funny. Cause I didn't, you know, I wouldn't have, uh, I wouldn't have been able to relate. So I, uh, again, I'm not, but I'm not against clean comedy. I'm just against um, being held to that title or being given yeah. that title because it, to me, it just comes with a stigma of, oh, you must just do, you know, children's birthday parties, you know, yeah. um, Nate Bargatze. Mm-hmm. No, I'm oh, go sorry. Ahead. I don't want to interrupt you. 
I was just going to say, um, I don't remember if I talked about it on the Babylon Bee, but I had a conversation with Nate Bargazzi about it. And we both could relate to the fact that like other comics who don't know us that well see our act and then they'll apologize to us for swearing in the green room. And it's like, no, I don't. It's fine. Like, I think Bill Burr is hilarious. Like this is but this is just this is how I talk. You know, I just, I just, I, I'm not doing this just for the money because it can be lucrative to get, you know, corporate shows uh, doing quote unquote clean comedy. But ultimately it's, you know, that's not my, my goal. My goal is just to be myself as authentically as possible. And whoever likes me, you know, buys tickets to my shows. Yeah. It's, I, I could see that being also a, uh, not just a stigma, but then there's, there's almost uh, like an expectation that gets attached to it as well. And, and then, and then if, if you, if you hold on to that identity and you start like entrusting like your, your livelihood and that identity of being a clean comic, then all of a sudden, I mean, it doesn't have to be a swear word. You could say something accidentally um, or a joke that's a little bit darker. And now half of your audience is pissed off at you. Yeah, because you were the clean guy. <laughs> yeah. I, I thought I, I knew so. you. <laughs> yeah. I feel like there's context though too. Like if if Joe is telling, you know, his coworker at work about, you know, so and so, oh, check out Kellen, he's a cleaner. I think, you know, that's one thing, but then there's probably some professional issues that can come up, I would guess, if your agent is pitching you, you know, and somebody's heard of you. Is is that part of the issue? Is it like internal industry issue? Or you don't even like it if if like you know, if fans happen to be talking about, you know, the the kind of humor that they feel like you represent. I Yeah, I don't mind it if fans use it. I'm, I'm just worried that if a fan uses that to describe me to another person, that they will come away thinking, well, I'm not going to bother checking him out because I don't mm, care, yeah. you know, to see someone who is clean. I just would rather be like, he, he's super funny and you can have the volume on when your kids are around. Like, I don't know. I don't know what the best phrasing is. I just know that, um, like... Uh, it actually does help in the industry when people do call up my agency and they want a clean comic. Like I am on that, I am on that roster. So, uh, you know, it's made me, it's made me money, but I I've made this comparison before. Like I, I want, I want people to walk away from my show just going, wow, that guy was funny and clever and wait, I don't think he dropped the F bomb. Like I want right. it to be an afterthought that my com my comedy is just funny. And right. that's what people walk away with. And they want to tell their friends about it just because they loved it and not necessarily because of what, you know, sort of TV rating it would get. But like I've said, nobody, it's only in this, this industry. Nobody, nobody says, you know, I, I love the movie Elf. It's a great clean Christmas movie. You know, no <laughs> one says, you know, the Beatles are great. They're my favorite clean band. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's like, why do you need to throw it in? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So um, we're kind of all tired of talking about COVID, um, but the reality is that it's really disrupted a lot of industries. Um, and as I said at the outset, we listen to a lot of comedians and watch a lot of podcasts hosted by comedians. We're just all about it. And um, I'm really interested in how they've kind of tried to solve for um, the pandemic with things like drive-ins or like corporate zoom calls or even private zoom calls. I watched a, 
like I paid five or 10 bucks and logged into a Maria Bamford set where it was just her and a friend and she's in her house. Like, um, so tell us how things have gone for you in the last year, just in case the fact that you're on our show doesn't speak for itself. <laughs> <laughs> well, as you can see, things have gone to hell. Um, <laughs> no. So uh, I'm torn on the Zoom thing. I, I appreciate the opportunities that, that technology has, uh, has has brought because I, I have been able to to make money, especially at the end of last year, with some corporate Zoom shows um, that that wouldn't have happened before. Um, but at the same, on the other hand, like there's a reason why Zoom comedy didn't exist before, right? It's just not. It's just not the same. So it, it is hard for me. So. I, I appreciate I appreciate the opportunities and the money that I can get from it, the work that's available, um, and we are trying to sort of work around, find the loopholes to to everything COVID. Uh, but I'll I'll be glad when it's over, and I'm not going to be surprised if Zoom shows just don't exist after that, right? Because this is it's not like a cool new thing that we discovered because of a pandemic. <laughs> it's just <Yeah. laughs> it's what we have to do. Um, I did a show I did a show in Irvine. California on the top of a parking garage. There was like 200 cars there and they did have a row of people who like backed their trucks into the front row. Front row was like 50 feet away, but they were able to sit in the back of their trucks so you could hear some people, but it was, there was also this 70 foot inflatable projector behind me and people could hear me in their car radios, like a drive-in movie theater. Yeah. And if they liked the jokes, they honked. And it was, <laughs> it was my first oh, show no. in like seven months. So I just loved being on stage again, but it was so bizarre because of a <laughs> lifetime of negative association with car horns. <laughs> That every time I drop a joke that, by the way, I haven't told in half a year, I'm already not that confident. And then people are just like, <laughs> oh, I watch a lot of uh, uh, Pete Corielli and Sebastian Maniscalco. They have a podcast together. And I know Sebastian is doing a ton of the corporate Zoom calls. How does that even work? Do you just make fun of the stuff in the backgrounds of people's windows or like? <laughs> I mean, it is, it is a different experience. And I think it's best when, when comics do that, when they treat it more like a funny Zoom call than, than someone like actually trying to do stand-up comedy next to their closet. Right, like crowd work via <laughs> like, Zoom instead of exactly. a set per se. Yeah. Yeah. And so, like I said, it's, uh, uh, it's, it's just a different medium and I think it should be treated as a different medium. I think it's, it, it's at its best when it's not labeled as stand up comedy and more mm -hmm. just like, Hey, you want to see this comic work out on zoom or yeah, that's, that's the best because it is tough. I mean, I, I had this one show where they weren't using zoom, which for me has worked out better than any other. Like, have you ever tried to use the Google video one? It, that's, that's what they were using on this and every like 20 seconds or show. So everyone froze on the screen and I'm just doing my jokes and they had everyone muted. That's another thing is oh, that it man. can work out if a few of them aren't and those people are laughing, but then if it's too much, it sort of all stops. And so you can't tell 
mm-hmm. if you're doing well. And I just, I hadn't felt that sort of uh, stress since my open mic days when literally, but it's weird to think that it's, it's, it's comforting to know if people aren't laughing <laughs> yeah. rather than to guess if you're killing or not, you know, it's right. the way Maria, it, the way Maria did it was she had her opener um, unmuted and her opener was laughing at her set. And I thought that was like, everybody else was muted, but at least there was someone laughing. Just one person, at least somebody, right. Like sort of just gave it that, that vibe. Like, you mentioned again when we did we tried to do our research and watch some of your interviews and the Babylon Bee mm-hmm. have kind of the producer guy in the background who's just kind of laughing yep. and like keeping keeping a little bit of the vibe going. So yeah, Absolutely. it's super interesting. Yeah, and people will judge you on it. Like other people watching uh will decide if you're funny, not just on your content, but on the reaction that they are hearing around <laughs> around themselves and that's why comedy clubs that's why experience that's why that experience works is people are more comfortable laughing if people around them are laughing it's sort of a snake eating its tail but it also works in the opposite way like when i did kimmel i felt really good about the set that i had on kimmel to the point where they asked me beforehand or they told me beforehand uh when i was in the studio if you don't like your set don't worry about it we can reshoot it on another date and but it went so well that i was like no like thumbs up let's let's do this release it um but when it came out the sound mixing guy had had mixes the sound and i've talked to other comics after this it sounds like an excuse but it's it's not the guy <laughs> who mixes the sound is so concerned with the comedian's voice being heard clearly that like they mix the audience volume it's way lower mm. so then it just sounds like comics are bombing and if you watch comics on like uh, on Kimmel, if you just watch a bunch of clips or parts of a bunch of clips, you'll hear the audience is barely a part of it to the point where, and you can tell that I'm, that it's not just an excuse because if you watch my set, it looks like I'm waiting way too long to start the next joke. Like it's just me sort of enjoying that thought that I shared. You guys can wait until I start the next one. Yeah. And so, but then, and this is, uh, I mentioned earlier that I don't uh, read comments anymore on the internet. And this is why the Kimmel set is why, because like I started, even people on, on Twitter were mentioning how one guy said, avoid this comic at all costs, which seems a little dramatic, like at all costs. <laughs> like you see this comic on the street, drive the other direction because he bombed on uh, Jimmy Kimmel. It was, uh, yeah. So then it, it didn't look like I was doing well. So people watching it, instead of just enjoying whatever comedy for the content's sake, they're hearing the, they think the audience isn't laughing that much. Mm. So then that person thinks he's not funny. It's a bizarre uh, mm. psychological. Wild. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I, I am curious and you don't have to pick names if you don't want, are there any comedians you enjoy interacting most with privately and then actually watching perform if those are two separate things? Oh yeah. Uh, um, people who sort of that, that Venn diagram of people who are fun off stage and great on stage. I would say Chad Daniels is at the top of that list. Um, he is just a phenomenal, uh, 
he's so funny off stage. And then he is just that person on stage too. Like he's, he's a great writer. He has great timing. He's his, he's, it's, it's, it's a punchline. Every other sentence, it's everything that I, uh, that I try to be, but Chad Daniels is definitely one of those people. And then you have people on the opposite end of that spectrum, like Jeff Dunham, who is, he's pretty good at writing. He also has a writer that he works with. He has puppets that are doing most of the talking. And then he didn't speak to me at all the week that I worked with him. So wow. there's that. <laughs> yeah. That's the other end of that. Not even with a puppet. Like just, he looks the other way. Oh, that would have been <laughs> such a great <laughs> passive aggressive thing to do. <laughs> if he just brought a peanut, like, can you close the door on your way out? Opener. <laughs> And I think the less he talks to you with the puppet, the better. It just amps up the story. Like only when he needs things or gives you instructions. Uh, no, no casual conversation. That's, That's awesome. great. Are you are you familiar with comedians and cars getting coffee? I assume everyone in the world is because I love, I love it. it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Love that show. Okay, so I'm going to give you a scenario. You you've been invited on the show in this scenario. Mm -hmm. Uh, what kind of car do you want Jerry to bring to pick you up in? And what do you want to talk to him about? Oh man. So there's a car I would want to get picked up in. And then there's the car that I think he would pick me up in. And don't say I a challenger. <laughs> so I feel like he's a little insulting sometimes, like when he picked up Michael Rich Richards and he was just in like the rustiest VW bus. <laughs> this is a metaphor for your career now. <laughs> that, that has to be their relationship though, right? Like right? He has to be able to get away from that, get away with that with him. Okay. So what are the two options? What, what do you think it would be first? So I would, uh, I would, oh, what, what do I think he would pick me up? Well, in? Yeah. What do I, what's the car you think he would use first? I think he would pick me up in like a nineties Mercedes. Do you remember the, the Mercedes that had like a diesel engine? It yes. sounded like a semi truck next to you. And it was just the most milk toast sort of car. But then under the hood, it had like a 380 horsepower engine that would last for 900,000 miles like that. But up, up front, when you, your first impression is what is this loud, boring car doing mm -hmm. at this stoplight? That's, that's what I think you would pick me up because I, I am, so I, I'm introverted and I, I give off, I know that I give off a vibe of, especially if I'm quiet in a, in a room with people, I have a sort of deep set eyes and low eyebrows. I, I seem like a serious person. I, I've had enough strangers come up to me and ask what was wrong to know <laughs> that I look, I look like an '89 uh, Mercedes sedan. But yeah. the car that I that I would that I want him to pick me up in is probably the original. Um, what's the uh, what's the James Bond? Oh, the, like the uh, DB Rolls Royce. By the no, way, no offense, Mercedes Phantom. <laughs> oh man. None of us are car guys, but uh, I, <laughs> what is that? The DB9? The C3 Roadster. You got you, you your your listeners are all shouting uh, into their phones right now. Yeah. <laughs> all, all 12 yeah. of them. Uh, Ford Tempo. <laughs> I can't. No, Somebody it's a, I I know that it's anyway. Aston, so Aston Martin. The Aston Martin. There you go. Yeah, yeah. It's just sort of it's a very classic sort of timeless looking car and that's what i want like and maybe it's like uh, every man's you know search for immortality but i feel like that's like a, a such a timeless 
cool look. It's always going to look cool. I've always wanted to be cool, but I know that I'm not. <laughs> so that's, that's a car that I would want. And that's, it's such a great show. You know, it's just two comedians talking about comedy. I could, yeah, I could listen watch that all day. Is there anything specific you'd want to talk to him about? Oh, I'd love to talk about so the stuff that we've talked about, joke structure. I mean, that would be it. I would love to trade stories about being on the road. It would be a little different because I know that his stories would be like, you know, don't you hate it when you're in a theater full of 9,000 people and only 8,000 show up? And uh <laughs> <laughs> and my my mind would be more like, yeah, don't you hate it when you're playing at a comedy club, but the subway is like the subway sandwiches is a two and a half mile walk during the day. Yeah, yours is <laughs> yours is the uh, sold out Maroon Five concert story, right? <laughs> exactly. For anybody who's seen that bit of you, that's great too. By the way, uh, and I I have to ask, do you know who the actor H. John Benjamin is? I don't. No. Okay. So have you ever seen a, a preview, Corey? Can you pull? Yeah. Can you pull them up? Uh, have you ever seen or, or seen any clips from like Bob's Burgers? Oh yeah, 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 yeah. So you said you're not an actor, but would you be willing to play him in a biopic? Because I think between <laughs> the look and the voice, uh, oh, interesting. Yeah. I think between the look and the voice, you're made, man. I have your agent pitch it because I was listening. Certain words you would say, I would hear, and and I'm not like a huge Bob's Burgers person, but he does a lot of different voices for different cartoon, like adult animated cartoon shows. And, uh, and I just think a young H. John Benjamin, I just, I think you got him. Well, I'm, I'm glad you said young. Cause usually when people say I look like someone, whenever you hear that, you know, it's usually never flattering. The, yeah, uh, no, but I, no, I can, no, I can start to see that. <laughs> the one that I've gotten the most is Aaron Paul, Jesse Pinkman from uh, Breaking Bad. Uh, 100%, and, uh, yeah. and I'll yeah, take that. Sure. I, I even took selfies in Albuquerque when I was doing some <laughs> shows down there. You can find those on my Instagram. Uh, uh, selfies of uh, as Aaron Paul in front of even in front of Jesse Pinkman's house. <laughs> <That's awesome. laughs> that was fun. I bought a gas mask and everything. I put it on, and there's a guy just like washing his Subaru in the in his driveway because it's just a regular house. And I was just like, "Sorry," because I'm sure it happens every day. <laughs> yeah, that's hilarious. Kendall, do you want to so, do you want to ask Kellen about your favorite YouTube channel? <laughs> so, perfect one, no <laughs> so one, one of my one of my favorite little little dirty things to watch on youtube is is cart narcs are you oh, yeah. aware of cart narcs yeah i was made aware of it pretty soon after they started yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> so that that's that's all because you, you know you got the bit and everything yeah, yeah, and I, I, uh, I, I feel like I had, I feel like I am what influenced that because that was like my first clip to really go viral was about shopping carts and how you need to put yours away and how you could just take someone else's and what are they going to do? Those guys take the extra step though because my joke is about the fact I feel like my joke is a little smarter because my the point for me is that you could take someone's cart in a store because what are you like they haven't bought any of that like to me there's right. like a deeper level to that joke about like how quickly we assume ownership over something like just because i i took these crackers from the shelf and placed them 
three feet away into this cart that isn't mine. Like this, these are my crackers, you know, <laughs> but they're not like you just moved them. So that's the point of that whole joke. But those guys, they took it sort of an illegal step further where they'll, they'll just take people's carts literally in the parking lot. So it's, it loses some of its subtlety, <laughs> but they, I mean, they have more followers than I do. So I guess you're well, welcome to them. <laughs> Indeed. That's, I just, I get it. I get a kick out of those guys. <laughs> that's something that you've mentioned before, Kellen, and I'm interested, like, does it ever feel weird? You talked about it a little bit before where it's like this whole playing the game, like the the self-promotion, trying to garner followers. Like, does that ever feel weird to you to sort of like, um, I mean, self-promotion is one thing, but like worried about social media and followers. And I mean, you just want to do what you love. And there's this other layer that you have to be cognizant of and try to think about and be strategic about. Does that ever feel like an annoying piece of the, the work? Absolutely. Yeah. And it's, it's, uh, it's hard for me because I am against most forms of social media. I'm against, you know, it's screen time is a big thing in my household with my kids, like keeping our kids off of things and the, like the instant gratification that comes with the internet and especially social media and like the psychological uh, scarring that is already happening to, to adolescents because they start social media when they're so young. So for me, um, I've always been uh, averse to that sort of thing and never one to like take selfies of myself. I, maybe if I had a full head of hair, I'd be more willing to do it. But that is the part of, right? That is the part of social media. I don't like it. Just, it feels so self-indulgent. Um, but the, the, um, it is a good tool. And so I try and just treat it as a tool. So I'm not, I'm not scrolling through Instagram, you know, three hours a day. I'm, I really just use it because it can be an effective tool for, for promotion and an easy way for people to find me. And so that, that is what I like to do. I like uh, every other shot on Instagram, I make sure it's just a joke. It's not even a picture of me or, or anything. And oftentimes the jokes get more likes than, uh, than my face does, which I'm not sure how to take that, but, <laughs> but I'm okay with it, but it is, it is, it is always a struggle for me to stay on top of things in the social media world because I am against uh, so much of it. But like I said, it can, I mean, it can be a helpful tool and uh, for stuff like this, for promoting my podcast, it is, or, or tickets to shows, it's undeniable that it is helpful in that sense. Yeah. Um, but I, I am against most of the other aspects of it, of, of literally that we are allowing teenagers even kids younger than teenagers to post their face on the internet and have people vote on it. Mm -hmm. It's crazy to me that that we're allowing that. Yeah. I've got three kids and and my oldest is 14. And that's just like, I remember hearing like for the first time, young girls um, can quantify their value in on social media like and if if my friend has a more low-cut shirt she gets more like like for the first time ever they're able to quantify things like that before it was just like she's more popular and now you can put a number to it and that just it's so concerning but i don't want to get too serious (laughs) (laughs) that's true So tell us about your podcast. The Super Bowl. The Super Bowl happened. You guys, uh, football football guy, you watch the Super Bowl? I I think the tool, uh, using it as a tool thing is so accurate, though. Like, Mm -hmm. we're way more into stand-up comedy and watching clips of things. Like, my wife, like I said, she's a pretty tough critic she she doesn't watch very much um but she she loves sebastian maniscalco and she'll watch his he does like really short like instagram clips and stuff 
seems like pretty often because she'll she'll show me them all the time. And uh, and you're and, like, yeah, I haven't seen her for five days. Uh. <laughs> five hours is a good <laughs> good pace to set at this point. But like, he's but he uses it. I mean, you can. He's very sure. clearly and effectively using social media to share his thoughts on you know his Seinfeld esque thoughts on whatever's going on. Yeah. And I think humor and positivity is such a great, I, I get sick of how toxic so much of it can be, even when people I don't think are meaning to, but kind of a little bit, like, especially during a pandemic when I lost like my income for most of the year and I'd see a post from someone with a, like, it's just a picture of a brand new house. And then the caption is, so this just happened. <laughs> like, oh really? <laughs> it just happened. <laughs> when is that just going to happen for me? You know. <laughs> uh, so you mentioned you mentioned your your podcast. I'd love to hear more about about that. And um, we're kind of winding down, so I definitely want to let people know how they can um, subscribe to that, follow that, and follow you on the social media that we all hate. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. So Instagram is, I mean, you can, I'm sure you can Google it, but it's Kellen Erskine comic. That's where you can find me there and find those Jesse Pinkman photos and, uh, and the jokes, all the jokes, uh, my podcast, that's, it's been a, a great, a fun project. Uh, it's called the book pile and me and uh, a writer, David Vance, uh, we cover a, a book on every episode. We've got about 20 out, uh, so far we started it, uh, fairly recently, uh, but we put so much work into every episode. I mean, not uh, just the fact that we have to read an entire book for an episode, um, but it's, uh, yeah, we, we cover fiction, we cover nonfiction. Uh, they're the books, books that have, that have affected us in some way in, uh, positively, at least at this point so far. So we've covered stuff by like Malcolm Gladwell, like Outliers. We've done Tidying Up by Marie Kondo. We've done Unwriting by Stephen King. But then we're, we're also going through all the Harry Potter books. Um, our, our last one was, was Pride and Prejudice. Um, in uh, the next couple of weeks, we're doing World War Z. So there's a whole... There's a whole, and there's a lot of fun, helpful tips for uh, avoiding the next, uh, what to do during the next apocalypse for, from that book. But <laughs> the, so the, 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 the medium is books, but the priority is comedy. We just try and make it as, as funny as possible and have a few little fun, like informative tidbits that maybe you can walk away from uh, uh, interesting ideas. Um, but, but it's comedy all the way. Yeah. That's, that's what surprised me, honestly, because I kind of, I mean, when you got a writer in a, in a comic on there, you know, there's going to be some humor, but just mm -hmm. the quantity of humor, like, and, and you guys do such a good job with your editing and it's, it's produced very well. So like mm -hmm. the timing is really good. And I was surprised at how much comedy there was in it. And, and you, you make, you make it fun for those who don't read much or, or might just want a quick promo for a book with a ton of comedy thrown in it. It has a really cool vibe to it. So great. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I'm a fan. I like it because it makes me sound really smart because David Vance actually is like this guy. This guy read 150 books last year and it's just unbelievable. Like I thought I read a lot, but I read like, uh, um, you know, 15, so 10% of what he did. <laughs> but with this podcast, I am going to end up reading closer to, to, to 75 this year. But like the, and you'll hear when you, when you listen to it, like he's witty, but he's also just a very, like off times he'll, <laughs> I'll, I'll make a point. What I think is like a, a pretty good point. And then he'll sort of reiterate what I just said in his own words. 
And I'm like, yeah, that's, uh, that's, that's what I meant to say. <laughs> you know, he's, <laughs> yeah, I was listening and he threw in the word, uh, or he goes, uh, Hey Kendall, that was, or Kendall. <laughs> Kellen, that was a really good portmanteau. And I was like, what? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. I'm like, oh, absolutely. Like as I'm Googling <laughs> yeah, portmanteau. We're, we're drinking wine? What? Yeah. I watch and a I lot did. of <laughs> I watch a lot of Adam Savage from Mythbusters. He has a, a channel on YouTube tested where he just makes stuff in his shop. And he described some objects that were be, that were being difficult. He was having trouble with these two items and he's like why does this have to be so recalcitrant and i'm like (laughs) (laughs) what you're telling me (laughs) and it shows too it shows how little like i know too uh uh, like how small my vocabulary is because even as i was googling portmanteau google still did the like did you mean like i didn't even spell it right yeah yeah (laughs) Have you ever gotten it so bad that you're relying on Google to correct it for you, but it still has no idea what you were trying to do? <laughs> That's the worst. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you ever pull that move? Like when your kid, your kid is calling from the other room, they're like, how, how do you spell recidivism? And I'm like, oh yeah, that's easy. And then like you're looking it up on your phone. R-E-C. Yeah. 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 Just, I, so if, can't my kids come at me with that kind of thing. I just, I just tell them that I don't want those kinds of words coming out of their mouths. <laughs> <laughs> Kellen, thank you so much uh, for your time. This has been a ton of fun. We are so uh, grateful that you were willing to come on. Really, really appreciate it, man. Be sure to follow Kellen everywhere. Um, check out the book pile, uh, check out his stand up. And if the world opens back up again, buy tickets to his shows. We're in Columbus. So if you come to the Funny Bone, uh, we will be there. Love or the nationwide arena. That'll hold about 65,000. We'll be ready for you. There we go. <laughs> then I can talk down to Jerry. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> Thank you so much, man. Really appreciate your time. This has been a ton of fun. Thank you, guys. This is a yeah. blast. We'll appreciate see you. Looking for a new podcast? Check out the Infectious Groove podcast. My name is Russ, and I host the show along with Michelle and Kyle. Every Monday, the three of us bring you music news and tell you our jammy jams, so you'll always have new music to check out. The Infectious Groove podcast discusses music from nearly every decade and genre while openly displaying our passion for music you need to hear. On top of that, we have a thought-provoking main topic of discussion every week to get you thinking, discussing, and sharing music. We also include interviews with the music stars of yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and all major podcast platforms. Subscribe and listen to the Infectious Groove podcast on your favorite podcast platform today. If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at Midi Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And MIDI can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com.